theyeshiva.net. So today's class is dedicated by Rip Shmuel Tesler in loving memory of his grandmother, Miriam Bas Rip Moshe Shmuel, who passed away on the 24th day of Eir. Tehei Nishmasa Tzrura, Betzer HaChai, may she be an eternal source of light and inspiration for you, Rip Shmuel, and your entire family. Betach Klal Yisrael. Amen. So the Baal Shem Tev said that the word teva means an ark, a box, a, a boat. But really in Hebrew the word teva means a word. Right? Like Rashi Tevot, the beginning of a word, the first letter of a word. Teva in Hebrew means an ark, a box. Teva also means a word. So the Rebbeinu Shalom tells Noyach, Boy el ha-teva. When there's a flood, come into the word. Come in, not only to the physical ark, Come into the word. There's a word that can protect you. And he says to Noyach, not only you come in, you come in, bring in your wife, bring in your children, he had three sons, and bring in the wives of your children into the Teva. The Lechavich Amagid once said something very powerful. He said, when there's a flood outside, you have to enter into words with your spouse and with your children and with their spouse, which means you have to enter into dialogue. What does this mean? Sometimes we feel that I can experience things and I can transmit things by osmosis. And in many generations it worked. Chicken soup. All you had to do was good chicken soup. With knedlach, even better. With chalopsas, it's a home run. With, with, with cinnamon buns that are warm, kreplach. Chalopsas. For you kreplach for her chalopsas. No, chalopsas besides the soup. Let's not, let's not uh, interfere with anybody's dishes. Noch with cinnamon buns baked by mother herself and warm? You don't need any more. You don't need to talk. You don't need to talk, right? Osmosis, energy, energy. And that's true. But the Lechavich HaMagad says, that's good if there's no marble. <laughs> if there's a raging flood outside, you have to talk. <laughs> because people experience a lot. Boy el hateva, bring them into the conversation. Talk, talk about things. Tati got to talk to mommy. Mommy got to talk to Tati. People didn't always believe in that. Got to talk to the children, even the daughters-in-law. People didn't always believe in that. Robert Frost said, "Good fences, good neighbors make." We have to talk. Talking, of course, can only come with listening. I can't talk to you if I don't listen to you because I don't know what you're thinking. But it's only in conversation where things could become enlightened and clarified. As long as there's no flood, you transmit it by osmosis because the energy just goes naturally. But if there's a raging flood, we have to enter into dialogue. We have to have conversations. We have to communicate. I want to know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what your experience is. Often, people take this for granted. They don't realize how intense the flood is. They watch their children growing up, and suddenly when she's 16, she tells you things, and you're like, O-M-G, which house did this girl grow up in? Suddenly when he's 17 or 19, your boy tells you something that's been happening for the last 10 years, it's like, which planet was I living on? For the rest of your life as a Jewish mother, you're like, The point is, when there's a mabel, there has to be a lot of conversation. And conversation can't be forced. <laughs> I can't, Tell me what you're feeling. 
conversation must emerge spontaneously. It must emerge from trust, from vulnerability, from a safety place. That's why the Teva had to be so protected. And the Baal Shem Tov said further, everybody needs words to go into. Everybody needs a place to go into when there's a mabel. What does this mean spiritually? If I'm flooded, I'm literally flooded by anxiety. The Pasuk says in Shir Hashirim, send him my regards. The Pasuk says in Shir Hashirim, Mayim Rabim la yuchlu Raging waters cannot extinguish the love and rivers won't flood it. If somebody thinks they can give all their assets to buy this love, people will scorn them. In other words, there's something called Mayim Rab, raging waters. What are these raging waters? We have seen, unfortunately, scenes of hurricanes that have gone insane. We have seen, we just had Eon hurricane. Tsunamis, what happens? They go beyond the border that we expect. A mini mabal, a mini flood. What happens in these places? The water crosses the border. All of us have these types of waters. Everybody has worries, concerns, anxiety, but sometimes you're flooded with anxiety. Flooded with anxiety doesn't only mean I have something I'm worried about or I'm concerned about or have a pressure, but it means I'm now overwhelmed. I can't think about anything else. There's no mental space. My default mode is worry. As the famous telegram that a Jewish grandmother sent her family, it was only five words, so she wrote, start worrying, details to follow. So the bottom line is, sometimes my default mode is start worrying. Details will follow, don't worry. My brain will concoct a thousand and one things to come up, don't worry. Let's remember there's a Bar Mitzvah coming up, there's a Sheva Brachas coming up, there's a Shabbos coming up. Pesach is around the corner, you know that. And there's also Purim, and by the way, there's Hanukkah also, which means there's Shalach Manas. Oh, that's Purim, sorry. Okay, the point is, I have to worry. Now the question is, how? <laughs> Baruch Hashem, within moments, the brain has a bond. But it's not really about the circumstances. It's really about my attitude, my approach, and sometimes it's just very difficult. It's not conscious, it's subconscious. It's ingrained. This is called a mabble. The mabble. Everybody has this mabble. And the mabble can drown, can drown a person. Instead of feeling light, serenity, tranquility, I feel heavy. You know, sometimes people wake up in the morning and they look outside the window and they see Cheshvan has arrived, it's raining. You know that feeling? And suddenly your emotions go down south and it's like, when are we going to Miami? The bottom line is, you have to go to Miami to find Jews in their natural habitat. Right? The Amish are in Pennsylvania. The Jews' natural habitat is in Miami or at least in the Hamptons. The bottom line is, you look out the window, and that sense of dreariness sometimes befalls a person. And before I know it, my mood is heavy. And even if I have on my to-do list, I don't have 99 things today to do, only 82 things to do, or even four things to do. It's not about the facts. It's about my attitude to the facts, my experience of it. This is called Mayim Rabbim. Especially if there are real concerns. <laughs> And there's always something real, either with yourself or with your family or with somebody else or something in the world, etc. And what happens, a person is, a person is living in this type of mabal. So the Torah says, When such a thing happens, and a person literally has anxiety, 
And sometimes the anxiety could be very, very demoralizing to people. And it also robs me from my productivity. I can't even do what I have to do because I'm busy worrying about what I have to do. They tell a story that there was a Jew. He was always anxious. He would come into the office every day and the world was falling down on his shoulders that day. One day he walks in and he's calm. So his manager says, Yankel, it's so nice. He started the medication. You know, you started exercise. Well, what happened? So he says, no, I saw an ad in the newspaper that a company can hire somebody to worry. They worry. So I hired, I hired this guy, his name is Finkelstein, and you pay him, and he does all the worrying about everything. Geschmacks, I hired him. I don't have to be worried anymore. He says, wow, it's amazing, amazing. How much are you paying him? He says, the first year it's $150,000 plus benefits. He says, Yankel, you don't even cover regular payroll. How in the world is this guy going to get from you $150,000? He says, that's his first worry. That's the first thing he's doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, the, the question is, is it possible for me to hire somebody to worry? But the truth is, the joke is a little deeper than we imagine it is. Because really, really, anxiety is not who you are. That's the key. Anxiety is not who I am. I have anxiety but it's not who you are. A soul is not anxious. A soul is part of infinity. A soul basks in the ziv hashchina. A soul has lucidity. A soul, is there a word? A soul has clarity. A soul is in a natural state of intimacy with Hashem. It's not anxious. I may have things to do. I may have things to do. Some things may be difficult to do, no question. But that's not anxiety. It's not demoralizing anxiety. Yeah, I have to do something. I have to have a schedule. It takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. I can't be lazy. Anxiety is coming from a state that something is wrong essentially. It's a, there's an element of despair. There's an element of, I lost control. There's an element of life is going to fall apart. Things are going to disintegrate. What's going to be with my kids? What's going to be with my marriage? What's going to be with me? What's going to be with this? It's a whole different level. It's not that I have a responsibility. It's because I lost that conscious experience that I'm a conduit for the Ein Saif, that I'm an ambassador of Hashem in this world. I'm not the anxiety. There's a mabel. A person needs to be able to have a teva. The teva is what the Baal Shem Tev called the words. What those words are. Words of love. Words of Torah. Words of tefillah. Words of support. Words of connectivity. But I have to go into the words. I can't just be around the Word. I have to be able to really go into the Word. I have to be able to allow myself to experience it. When a person, is, for example, is davening and saying the words of davening, do I, do I go into the Word? Boyala teva. Noyach went into the teva. Went in completely. Completely in, not out. Because if I'm out of the teva partially, the flood is there. To be able to really be present fully, what they call mindfulness, to be present fully in these words. If I'm talking to somebody, to be fully present. If I'm breathing, to be fully present. If I'm walking, to be fully present. If I'm having a conversation with somebody, to be fully present. Whatever I'm involved in that's productive, that's meaningful, that's my teva, to be able to really be fully present with my mind, with my heart, with my presence. And it's hard because the thoughts are saying, well, what, what, what are you doing? Wait, what, what, what do you think? You have all time to be in an ark? What are you now? What are you, retired? You know what's happening? That's part of what takes me out of the teva. But paradoxically, by going into the Teva, I can then actually deal with everything in a much more productive... It doesn't come from laziness. It means I'm attached. I'm more connected. But now we see something even deeper. 
the flood raises the teva. The ark becomes elevated through the marble. It says, Vataram teva. The waters themselves elevate the teva. Because the ultimate purpose of the tension is not to bring a person down. It's to bring a person up. So the teva actually becomes higher from the raging waters. Physically, the teva went higher and higher and higher and higher. What does this mean? This means that when you're experiencing that type of tension, that type of anxiety, a person can actually, and it's maybe easier said than, it's easier said than done, but actually I have to ask myself the question, what is the purpose of this anxiety? Is the purpose of this anxiety to destroy me? Or is the purpose of this anxiety ultimately to uplift my teva? The purpose of the anxiety is not to destroy, it's to uplift the teva. How? How does it uplift me? It breaks me, it crushes me, it makes me mishuga, turns me into a bad mood. I don't have mental space, I'm overwhelmed, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I'm anxious. What, how, how does it lift me up? And for this, the person also has to be able to go into the teva. I have to go into a deeper place. Because really it's like an alarm clock. Very few people like their alarm clocks. I never heard anybody say, you know, I love my alarm clock. The alarm clock basically is there to destroy my sleep. And I want to sleep more unless I had a very good night's sleep, which is not so often. But the alarm clock, right, we, we try not to break the alarm clock because it's trying to wake me up. <laughs> the Rambam says that the shofar is like an alarm clock. It wakes you up. What does that mean? Whenever somebody wakes me up, it's an opportunity to actually become aware of something, to be alert. Whenever you're having anxiety about something, it's really an alarm clock. It's there to elevate me. It's there to ask me a question. What is happening inside? Can you work it through? Can you face it? Sure, it would have been easier if I wasn't sleeping and I wouldn't need an alarm clock. But the bottom line is, there's things that are hidden. There's things that I'm asleep. I'm not conscious of them. I'm not aware of them. They're in my subconscious. Anxiety is your soul saying, it's time to heal. It's time to confront. It's time to deal with it. They say there were two guys who had diabetes and they were in the hospital. And they had gout, unfortunately. If you know about gout, it's very painful. The doctor comes over to one of them. He was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. And he says, show me the leg that, uh, that has the gout. So he shows him the leg and the doctor starts touching and poking. And the poor Gentile is howling. It's very painful. He's screaming a shright. The doctor has to do what he has to do. What should he do? Now he comes to the Jew. He says, no, show me the leg. So the shoe gives him the leg. The doctor starts poking. He doesn't say a word. He's not screaming. He's not hollering. A half an hour later, he's smiling. The doctor leaves. The Gentile looks at the Jew and he said, I have to say such self-control. I've never seen in my life. But how did you do it? He says, I showed him my healthy leg. Well, you think I'm stupid? <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a shaita, right? She's a doctor. You got to be stupid. Yeah. They say, right? What are you showing him? You crank a fuss. It's too painful, yeah. It's a funny joke, but isn't that what happens very often in life? <laughs> I show you my healthy foot. You can poke, 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 poke. That's not a chiddish. One of the old Chelem stories is about a Jew who was standing in the street under a lantern. You know, the Shtetlach had lanterns. And he was looking for something. So his friend says, what are you looking for? He says, on the way home from Shul, I lost the keys. To, I dropped the key to my house. I can't get home. My wife was not home. I can't get home. So I'm looking for my keys. He says, where did you drop it? He says, well, the Shul is a few blocks away, somewhere there. So he says, so why are you searching here? He says, because over there it's dark. Here there's light. Over there I can't search. 
The point is, I could only search for something where it got lost. I can't search for something where it didn't get lost. The anxiety, the tension is saying that something got lost here. Something got lost. <laughs> something got lost. Some perspective, some innocence, some self-image, some self-love, some compassion got lost here. So it's, a, it's, it's the body, it's literally the body, the body keeps the score as we know. It's the body literally saying, can you give me some attention? <laughs> can you look for what was lost? Can you look for what was lost? We thank God that our nervous system works so that if my, 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 my finger touches, say a hot stove, I scream because the pain tells me that you're alive. God forbid if a person's nerves are not functioning, they don't feel it, they can burn down their finger. The anxiety is actually saying, there, there's something, there's something crippling me. There's something bothering me. The marble is here to lift up my teva. To make my, 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 my teva, my ark, my container, my words, my relationships, my dialogue, deeper. Literally, if you're in a teva, you're having a conversation with somebody you love, and suddenly there's anxiety in the conversation. What happens to the conversation? Does the conversation go to a higher level? Or does the conversation fall apart? Do we gaslight the other person? Do we stonewall the other person? Do we drift away from the other person? Or does the conversation go to another level? Here's the exercise. If you're having a conversation with somebody, in other words, you're having a teva, teva is words, and suddenly there's anxiety in the conversation. Remember, this is the opportunity to elevate the conversation. The teva now goes higher. What does it mean elevate? It goes deeper. It goes to a much deeper place because now I have to be able to address that level of anxiety. If not... The teva is useless. <laughs> this is an opportunity. The tension is the opportunity to be able to uplift the caliber of the conversation. And because of that, the person can actually confront it and emerge from it much more powerful, much stronger. But for that, you can't fear the mabal. You have to trust the teva. If I fear the mabal, I just want to run away. I'm not going to deal with it. But if you're not fearful of it, if you could look at it, Noyach had a window in the Teva. Why did he have a window? <laughs> how much light was he going to see? And even if he had a window that came into one room, how is that going to help the whole ark? The answer is, you have to be able to have a window. You have to be able to see, but not get consumed by the flood. I have to be able to look at my tension. I have to be able to look at my marble. You need a window, because if I don't have a window, I won't be able to deal with it. Soyer tasala Teva. But vel ama techalena So with the tsoya, the window tasala teva, I could be in the words, and now I could say, wow, let this raging intensity of emotions uplift my teva. So now in conclusion, what do we have here? We have here a situation where the marble creates a cleansing process in the earth. The very emotionally, what is that? That the very tension the very raging emotions, they can be hard. But if I can look at them and not be afraid of them, and I can have my teva and I can go into my teva, actually this very mabul can cleanse me. It can turn me into something much deeper. When the Navi wants to describe the flood, it's called Mei Noyach, the waters of Noyach, the Haftarah this week. The question is, it wasn't the waters of Noyach. Noyach means serenity. The word Noyach comes from the word Menucha. Vayishbois in the Targum is called Vinoch. May Noyach, the waters of serenity. That's a pretty strange description for a flood. The waters of serenity. Really? The raging waters of serenity. It's a contradiction in terms. Depends how you see it. 
If you just see the raging waters as a flood to destroy, you're right. But if you see the raging waters as a mikveh to cleanse, to transform, it's actually going into a place. And again, when I go into a mikveh, if I stay there, I die. Sometimes going into my tension, I feel like I'm going to die. Do you ever feel like that if you're going to look at something, you're not going to live? You have to run away from it. That's what the marble feels. That's what a mikveh feels like. But it's over there when I can go into it and not be afraid. So then what happens is the marble actually cleanses me. Going into that tension, seeing it, observing it, knowing that it's not me, but it's here to elevate me, to sublimate me, allows the person to become far, far more powerful. I'll conclude with a story. And uh, I think the story captures some of the ideas we're mentioning. I heard the story from the person himself. His name is Rabbi uh, Tzvi Hirsch Weinreb. Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch Weinreb is uh, the emer- president emeritus of the OU, the Orthodox Union. He's also the publisher of the Koran Gemara in English. He's a Talmud Chacham. He has family actually here. That's where I met him and I heard the story from him. And he shared this story with me. I thought it was a very, very telling and moving story. And he said that uh, many, many years ago in the 1960s, he moved out as a young Rav to Maryland, near Baltimore, and he had a shul over there, and he had a community there. But he said in his early 30s, he got this early midlife crisis, or late 20s. He said he had his midlife crisis a little earlier than some others. And he doubted everything. You know, he was doubting his life and his career and his future and his vocation and, and you know, who he is and what it means to be a Jew. He just had a lot, a lot of questions and a lot, a lot of dilemmas. And he wasn't sure if he should leave the rabbinate and go, he wanted to go into the world of psychology. And he just had a lot of questions, both personal and, and career questions and emotional questions. So naturally, you know, he was a student of, 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 of his yeshiva. So usually you go to, you know, your teachers or your rebbes or your rosh yeshivas. But he felt he wanted somebody who didn't know him. An objective voice, somebody who didn't know how he grew up and didn't have opinions about him, you know, because... Very often, if I watched you grow up, I already have opinions about, you know, you belong here, you belong there. He just wanted a fresh start and a clean slate, so he didn't want any attachments. He didn't want to consult anybody who knew anything about him, his parents, his family, his upbringing, what he's supposed to be, what he's not supposed to be, what this one said. They're just like, start over again, you know? You never heard me. So he said, he told us to me, he said he decided to consult the Lubavitcher Rebbe, because he had no connection to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He's not a chassi, he doesn't come from the world of Chassidim, he doesn't come from the world of Lubavitch, but from the world of Chassidim. He thought this is good. Objective man, a wise man, he'll go to him and he'll consult him. So he calls up, the Lubavitcher Rebbe had a secretary, his name was Rabbi Chadakov, Rabbi Chaya Mardechai Isaac Chadakov. He was a secretary, like assistant, so he calls him up and he asks if he could make an appointment with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So Rabbi Chadikov says, this is like 1970, 1969, 1970, Rabbi Weinreb told me. Chadikov says, to be honest, appointment, it's booked for six months. And there's hundreds of people, every night, he sits a whole night. The Rebbe would see people at night, from 8.30 at night till 7 in the morning, not during the day. He says, it's booked for six months. So he says, I can't wait six months. I have a, I have a, I have a crisis. Maybe you can ask... Maybe you can ask the Lubavitcher Rebbe if he would maybe make an exception. I don't want to say, I'm not going to sit a long time. I just want to go and present a few questions. I don't think it'll take long. You know, Tashnella Cup, he has this fast head. I'll tell him exactly. Here's like a, a click on the phone, you know, those old phones. He has a kvetch. And, uh, and he hears Rabbi Chadakov telling somebody, like quietly, you know, there's somebody in Yiddish, there's somebody here, and he wants to come see the Rebbe. And he hears the Rebbe asking, uh, Veret. 
who is this one speaking? Who is the one talking? And he told me that he knew it was the Lubavitcher Rebbe's voice because he would hear on the radio, <laughs> they would broadcast Fabrengen. So he heard, he knew the Rebbe's voice. He never remembered, he heard his voice. So he heard, Verret, who's speaking? So Rabbi Chadikov says to him, who is this? Who is this speaking? So he says, Ayid from Baltimore. A Jew from Baltimore. Ayid from Maryland. Sorry, a Jew from Maryland. He, he didn't feel the name is important. A Jew from Maryland. So Rabbi Chadikov tells the Rebbe, Ayid from Maryland. A Jew from Maryland wants to come see you. So the Rebbe tells Rabbi Chadikov, a Daphnish Koman, he doesn't have to come. Zogem, as in Maryland, he doesn't have in Maryland is a Jew, his name is Wine Rep. Those are his words. Let him go to Wine Rep and talk to him. So Rabbi Wine Rep told me, he says, Rabbi Wine I thought, so, so Rabbi Chadikov says, the Rebbe said, you don't have to come speak to him. You're from Maryland. There's a good Jew in Maryland, Wine Rep. He's a, apparently a distinguished person. The Rebbe knows him. Go speak to him. You don't have to schlep to New York. So he tells Rabbi Chadakov, he says, What? Ich bin Weinreb. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. He, he couldn't understand. So he says, Rabbi Chadakov almost fainted. He says, What? What? He says, Ich bin Weinreb. I'm the guy. I need advice. So Rabbi Chadakov, like, completely, you know, overwhelmed himself, tells Lubavitch Reb, The guy says, As Ed is Weinreb. He's Weinreb from Maryland. And Rabbi Weinrub tells me, without skipping a beat, the Rebbe says, Yeah, Amol Dafamench Reden Suzichalein. Sometimes you gotta talk and consult with yourself. Rabbi Chadikov says, he says, De Hest Weinrub, you hear? He says, Yeah, bye. <laughs> he hangs up. Rabbi Weinrub tells me, I'm sitting in the office and I'm like, I just called to make an appointment with somebody. <laughs> what just happened? But then he said, you know what? Maybe it's good advice. Let me talk to myself. And he told me for the first time in my life, I did it. I actually sat down and I really spoke to myself. I really spoke to myself. I didn't get overwhelmed with myself. I didn't get crazy about myself. I didn't get, I just spoke to myself. I listened to myself. I really, for the first time, had a conversation with myself. And he said to me, he said, I have to tell you, it was the best piece of advice I could have gotten. And he says, till today, I have dilemmas. I know what to do. I sit down, I talk to myself. Sometimes I talk also to other people, but not before I have a long conversation with myself. Why? Because talking to other people is very, very good, but only after you've spoken to yourself. Because if not, talking to other people can actually distract me from me. Sometimes talking to other people can help me have a conversation with me. But really, the real conversation has to happen with me. The person you talk to can only be effective if that person helps you have a conversation with yourself. And by the way, when you're talking to somebody, you should know that difference. Is there somebody who's telling you? Or is there somebody who's helping you have a conversation with yourself? They say somebody went into Barnes & Noble, and they went to the, to the counter, and there was a woman there, and she said, where's the self-help section? So she said, if I tell you, it's going to be defeating the purpose, right? <clears throat> so it, it's a good line. If self-help, if me helping you replaces that, nishgut. Because <laughs> it's your life. And that's in a way what happens with the marble. 
where the Mabul says, Hashem says, now have a conversation with yourself. Till now, I had the conversation for you. You were with me, good. You were not with me. Either you're with me or against me. After the Mabul, you're not with me or against me. Because even if you're against me, you're still with me. Because now the light is inside of you. It's always inside. Nothing can extinguish it. And if there's a Mabul, it's only to bring out your more light. So now you can really have a conversation with yourself. Everybody have a wonderful day, a wonderful month, and a wonderful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.